You're listening to Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. So uh, we are uh, in week two of nine weeks in Genesis. Um, And what we want to do is look at what perhaps this can tell us about our own lives. We look backwards in the scriptures to learn what God is doing in our life currently. Um, We looked last week at the first 11 chapters of Genesis to kind of get us caught up uh, so that we could hit the ground running today. I just want to review briefly uh, what we talked about, and I can sum it up in in three words. Blessing, sin, promise. Okay? The first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, uh, we met um, Adam and his children. Uh, We met Noah and his children. And we met... Oh, the folks at the Babel Tower that were kind of uh, dispersed into the multitude of nations and then, and then their children. Um, we met many, 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 many generations of people who all struggled with this very same cycle. God would bless them. And then as people do, they would sin. And then God would come on the back end of that and say, but I promise I will make this better. I promise I can fix this. I promise there is no sin that is too big that I can't overcome because I'm God. So just walk with me. And over and over and over again, we saw this cycle. I bless you. Go and be fruitful. Adam and Eve messed things up and got kicked out of the garden. God came on the back end and said, I promise one day I will ultimately fix this. Things will be okay. And it cycled again. And it cycled again. And it cycled again. And you want to know what? It continues to cycle in our lives today. We struggle with this today. We receive the blessing of God. We are saved from our sins. We love Jesus. And yet, we still sin. But on the back end of our sin, hemming us in from the backside is God saying, but I promise I will make this right. But I promise I can make you holy. But I promise I am with you. And we're going to see this cycle played out in the life of Abram this morning. We're going to spend two weeks looking at the life of Abram in Genesis um, because there's a lot of meat to this guy. Uh, He had a lot of life experiences that we can learn from, things that we can glean from. Um, And the first thing that we need to know about Abram is that he did not walk with God the way that we like to think he did. Like he did once he met God. But did you know that the first 75 years of his life, he lived in the land of Ur? You are Ur, okay? Um, And in the land of Ur, they had gods of Ur, okay? They had a god for the sun and a god for the moon and a god for the stars and a god for the harvest. And they had lots of gods. They had lots of little, little G gods that they prayed to and that they built altars to and that they hoped by some ways they might be able to affect that God to bring a good harvest or affect that God to cause the sun or the moon to go up or down at the appropriate times. He lived in a culture that was very far away from the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who formed Adam and Eve with his hands, the God who rescued Noah from the flood. They lived far away from that God, but God did not live far away from them. Somehow, though, um, out of all of the people of the world, God looked into the land of Ur, and being a choosy chooser, because that's what God is, and um, he chose, he chose Abram. 
of all the people, just like, just like Noah. He looked down and he chose Noah to be a special representative. He looked down and he chose Abram of a group of people that were not really connected with him anymore, that had strayed very far away from the, the stories of generations ago about this one God who made Adam and this one God who caused a flood. And they were so far removed from those stories that they were almost mythical. And God looked at the land of Ur and he looked at the people and he said, Abram's my guy. I'm gonna build a special relationship with him. And so the beginning of chapter 12, we don't really get any introduction. Like, if you remember, we end chapter 11 like this. Um, the, the people had been scattered all over the face of the earth, and then we get some descendants. So Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, and his son Abram's wife. And they went forth together in the land of Ur to the Chaldeans, to the land of Canaan. And then they just kind of settled, and then the Terah died. And we've got genealogy and the death of Terah, and that's it. There's no, like, anything else. We just jump headlong, story already in progress, to Abraham's life. Okay? So, Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3. And, and, and I, want you, I want you not to hear the story this morning like you've already heard it, okay? I want you to just put ears on and think about this story critically, okay? Like it's the first time you've ever heard this, okay? I want you to think about how Abram would feel if this was really happening to him, because it really happened to him, okay? If this were you and this were happening to you, how might you feel in these moments, okay? This is a kind, I want you to experience this with Abram because this is legitimately challenging. And we look backwards in history and count this as our, our faith history and go, that's no big deal. Abram was a guy of faith, but you wanna know what? He was not raised with this faith. This was a challenge for him to follow God. And this is where it picks up. Story already in progress, okay? Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Press the pause button. Thank you. Um, okay. Doesn't know God. Has a very loose idea of who this God might be. Maybe he groups this God into the other gods that he worships with his family and the people that he... For 75 years, he has been raised to not worship one God, but to worship many. And then suddenly... He hears a voice that says, go, take everything you've got, pack it all up in a U-Haul trailer, go far away from everything you've ever known to a land that I will show you. I'm not even going to tell you what it is. I'll let you know when you get there. Just start driving due west or north or east. I have no idea. Okay. Um, but just start going. Reality check. Okay. How would you feel? If that was you, how would you feel if suddenly a booming voice or however it worked out said, gather your family and your belongings and anyone else that you can get to go with you and just start, just get on the ferry and I'll tell you to stop going once you're there. Anybody feel a little uncomfortable with that process? Yeah. Right? It's a challenge and this is what he's experiencing. 
Someone is talking to him that he has no relationship with yet. That person has relationship with him, but he doesn't have it back yet. He continues God speaking to him. If you go, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make you great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever dishonors you, I will curse. In all of the families of the earth, or in you, all of the families on the earth shall be blessed. This is a pretty good promise, right? If you pick up and go, your name will be great. You will have so many kids. Your family will be a blessing to all families on earth. Not only that, if anybody even looks at you wrong, smite, right? You want that kind of power on your side, don't you? Like if you're picking up and going somewhere you don't know where you're going, you want to make sure that the person you've got as your bodyguard is someone who walks right by you. And if anybody even looks at you wrong, you're all like, get up away from my Abram, right? Because that's what God is promising. He is saying, I will protect you. I will keep you. I will love on you. I will direct you. I will guide you. I will encourage you. I will make you great. Let's go on this journey together. This is an invitation for Abraham, Abram to lay hold of a promise that he really has to take completely on faith. Absolutely 100% on faith because he doesn't know this God from all the other gods. So Abram does exactly that. I love this story because um, Abram just leaps. I kind of wonder what his personality was like. I wonder if he was a leap first, think later guy. Um, because this is really a, a leap first, think later kind of thing. This is a strange voice from heaven telling me to go. Okay, I'll go. Um, and he goes and he picks up everything. And if you read um, chapter 12 um, and chapter 13 and, and chapter 14, you, you get this story of Abraham and Lot, relatives, going together on this journey, dividing up some land along the way. Uh, there's some family scuffle and there's a battle with some kings and you can read all that in there and how God works. But you can see that Abraham jumps full, like 100% into this, I'm going to go where God takes me. I'm going to see what he's going to do here. I am going to be a blessing to all nations on earth, and God has promised it would be. Now, we run into a problem here because Abram's 75 years old and doesn't have any kids of his own. So you got to wonder in the back of your brain, if I'm going to be um, a, a blessing to all the nations on the earth, how is that going to play out? I'm pretty old, Abram's thinking. And I know people don't live that much longer. I mean, ye in the olden days, he was thinking. People lived a couple hundred years. I don't know if that's going to be the same for me. I'm 75. I might be on the tail end of things. So how is God going to make a great nation here? And in chapter 15, God makes a covenant with Abraham. And a covenant is entering into a special relationship. It's a unique bond between God and creation. And, um, and Genesis chapter 15 details this covenant. The word of the Lord again came to Abram in a vision. Don't fear, Abram. I'm your shield. I'm your reward, and your reward will be great. And then Abram has this honest conversation, and I love honest dialogue. When, when God's people talk honestly back with God, and it shows the reality of how life might be, Abram says, God, what are you going to give me? Because I'm childless, 
And the heir of my household is this dude named Eleazar of Damascus. You've given me no offspring so that this other random guy who's not of my lineage is going to end up taking the heir and have everything. You promised that I would have nations, but I don't even have a kid. This is Abraham sticking his finger in God's chest almost, right? You promised this, so what are you going to do about it? I don't even have a kid, God. I'm 75 years old. How am I supposed to have a kid? How is this going to work out? You promised this. I like this honest dialogue. God responds back, that other guy's not going to be your heir. Your very own son will be your heir. And then he brought Abram outside and he caused Abraham to look at the stars. And he said, Abram, look up at the night sky. And there was no light pollution, right? And I heard the northern lights were out last night. Did anybody see them? I heard they were out last night. I went out to try and get a glimpse of them. Um, and I saw just maybe the faintest little flicker, but there was just too much light pollution. I couldn't, I couldn't see, but the stars were in high death last night. <laughs> it was amazing, right? So I'm trying to picture what Abram saw that night with no light pollution. And I wonder if God put on a beautiful spectacle in the heavens. I have to think he did, because that's who God is. And he caused Abram to look up at the sky and see in high death all of these things that he placed in the heavens simply for his glory, right? And he says, now count them. And so I imagine Abram's up there going, one, two, three, four, and he gets to like 600 and loses count. Okay, let me start over. And he tries again and again and again. And after a while, Abram says, or God says, listen, count these stars, number them if you're able to, right? And he tried and tried and couldn't. And then God said, your offspring will be this numerous. You're going to try, but you can't number them. They are going to be so great. You're going to have so many kids that you're not even going to be able to count them. And Abram believed the Lord. Again, just leaped right in on faith. And the Lord counted his faith to him as righteousness. Then God said, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur. I am the Lord who is giving you this land to possess. This is a God's doing it. Abraham's not doing it. You have to rely on me to see the fulfillment of this promise. This is something I will do, God says, not something you can do. And Abraham says, but how am I going to know that this is true? Prove it, God. How do I know you are who you say you are, and you will do what you say you will do. And so God does a really, I just, I wish, I try to think of things like Abraham. God, prove it to me. And the Lord says, bring me a three-year-old cow. Bring me a three-year-old goat. Bring me a three-year-old ram. Bring me a turtle dove and a pigeon. Now, if I were Abraham, I'd be like, what? Like, what is this proving? So Abraham still, he brings those things to God, cuts them in half according to God's word, and then lays the parts appropriately. And then the sun went down and God caused a deep sleep to fall on Abraham. And that language is very reminiscent of the deep sleep that God caused Adam to fall into. Um, uh, and behold, a dreadful great darkness fell upon Abram. And the Lord said to Abram in this moment, Know for certain, here God is about to tell the future. God is about to tell Abram what's going to happen generations from now in pretty explicit detail. Know for certain that your offspring, you'll have kids, your offspring 
will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. This is talking about the Israelites when they are in captivity to Egypt and enslaved. And did you know they were enslaved for 400 years? Lo and behold, God knows what he's talking about. Um, They will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation they serve, Egypt, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. And we know when we read the book of Exodus that they came out of Egypt with an immense amount of possessions from Egypt. As for yourself, God says, you will go to your fathers in peace and be buried in a good old age. And then your family will come back here in the fourth generation. And then when the sun went down, and had disappeared, it was dark. And behold, a smoking firepot and flaming torch passed between the cut pieces of the animal, and the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, I will give this land to your offspring. And then he defines the borders of the promised land. God makes a covenant with Abram in this moment. God says, you want to know how I will do what I say I will do? I will covenant with you. I will promise you on my character an unbreakable promise that I am able to sustain. You can't do this in your own flesh. I will make this happen. I am the Lord your God. The glory of the Lord in that moment descended in a fire pot, for lack of a better translation. A big old ball of God's glory that burns so hot and so bright and so righteous and so true that it consumes everything in its path. It ate up the offering. And God passed through it saying, I will sustain the terms of this covenant while you sleep, while you rest. You don't have to work. I will do this. And Abram woke up with this faith and this understanding that God promised me that he would do something phenomenal for me And I can't wait to see what happens. You ever had an experience with God and maybe a great prayer session or the sermon spoke to you or I don't know something, you come away from a camp experience and you just feel that, oh yeah, we call it being on fire for the Lord, right? Because you can feel that excitement within you. Okay, so he was experiencing that. And then, like people do. Now Sarai, chapter 16, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And we have a problem here, right? Abram knows that he's going to have a great nation, but he didn't have any children. So he talks to his wife. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar, and she had this great idea. Oh, I know how we can do it. Abram, I know what we're going to do. We're going to get some kids, but since I'm too old to have kids, I will give you my servant, Hagar, Now, Sarai said to Abraham, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Surely it's not me that is going to have the children. So why don't you take my servant so that I can have children through her? And Abraham listened to his wife, and they conceived a child, Abram and Hagar. This is where sin enters the cycle. This is where Abram thinks that maybe God has forgotten the promise Maybe it's something that Abram needs to do. Maybe Abram heard the promise and now he needs to act on it. Now he needs to do something. He can't just wait, right? He's getting old. Clock is ticking. How long is he going to be able to wait before this promise fulfills itself? He must certainly become active in this process. And so he makes a baby with Hagar. 
And if you read the continuation of chapter 16, this does not go well. When we step outside of the bounds of God's will for our life, it does not go well for us or other people. We had a beautiful relationship between Abram and Sarai, but Abram slept with someone that wasn't his wife, and that caused problems for him and his wife. Not only that, but this woman, Hagar, who bore a son, suddenly was an outcast in her own household. She had a place to call home and of people that were with her. And then suddenly, because Sarai felt jealous and this whole thing unraveled in sin, Sarai said to Abraham, you got to get rid of her and her kid. Send them far away. They make me sick to look at. I can't have them here. I thought they were going to be the way that the promise was going to be fulfilled. Now I feel icky about it. So get rid of them. Sin begets sin begets sin begets sin. And suddenly what Abraham and Sarah thought were maybe helping to fulfill the promise of God in their own hands, they were going to take control and make this happen. It just crumbled and everything fell apart and their life was disheveled and we got this beautiful blessing from God and then sin. Beautiful thing in this cycle is that God always comes in on that tail end, right? When we look and we think our life is just falling apart, and we tried, even with the best of intentions, to do what we thought was right. And we realized what I did hurt people and myself and my family and other people. And, oh, gosh, I've made an absolute disaster out of this. And Abraham's probably thinking, oh, like 75 or 80, you think I'd know better by now. But I evidently don't know better by now. Um, and so on the tail end of this, I love this. When maybe Abram thought, I've screwed it up. God won't love me anymore. Maybe God will pull back from this relationship he had. Maybe I'm not good enough to be used by God anymore. Maybe I have just completely blown it and I'm not part of God's plan anymore. We get to chapter 17. And chapter 17 reads this way. When Abram was 99 years old, right? so time has elapsed, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I'm God. Your job is to walk before me. Not do, just walk. Blameless. Rough translation of God here. I'm God. Stop sinning. Okay? That's the Peter version of this. But I, God is saying, listen, I want to remind you, I am God. And you notice every time he talks to Abram, he reminds Abram who he is. He starts off with, I am God. I am the God who brought you out of the land. I am the God Almighty. Remember, Almighty, I'm the one in charge. I'm the big chief. Abram, your job is just to walk with me, to pay attention to me, and to do it in a blameless kind of way. I need you to stop trying to take control away from the Almighty. Walk before me blamelessly that I may make a covenant between me and you, that I may multiply you greatly. And this was a convicting statement when Abram realized at 99 years old, I have sinned against God Almighty. I have tried to make things work my own way and it doesn't work. He has been faithful with me and good with me. He's not smiting me. He still loves me. He still wants to be in relationship with me. I didn't screw it up too badly. I didn't go too far that he cut me off. In fact, he still wants me to walk with him. He's still encouraging me to be blameless and holy. I, I can still be holy, even though I've screwed things up. 
He's still going to multiply me greatly. The promises he made still stand. And Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you. He's reaffirming this. I'm still with you. My promise still stands. I still love you. And you will be the father of a multitude of nations. But no longer shall your name be called Abram. No longer. Here's another step in God's relationship with Abram. No longer shall your name be called Abram. Because Abram was a name given to him by Abram's father in the land of Ur. And Abram was named for the sun god in the land of Ur. His name means, may the sun god be exalted. His name, his identity, everything he'd grown up with was focused on doing things on your own and worshiping false gods and making it work yourself. God was saying, that's not going to work anymore. We're going to be in covenant relationship together. You've got to really trust me. I want to give you a gift of a new identity, a new picture of who you are in me. No longer is your name going to be tied to false gods and doing things in the flesh, but now your name is going to be called Abraham, which means the father of multitudes. Your identity is based on the promise and the blessings that I'm giving you. Your identity is crafted from my heart for you. Your identity is now the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, God says. Not Abraham. God says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations, and kings will come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, meaning it has no end. It goes on forever and ever and ever. This is a continuation of the promise that God made to Adam and Eve that one day I will send someone to permanently fix the sin cycle issue in your life. One day I will fix it. And this is part of that, that here is the group, the family group that that promise will be played out through. I will have a covenant that is everlasting to be God to you and your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. Translation. I will be with you and your children and your children's children and your children's children's children generation and generation and generation and even if they sin, I will be with them and I will hem them in on the front and on the backside. And I will challenge them to walk blamelessly before me in holiness. And I will create for them a new identity as a people shaped by my holiness, not shaped by the false gods of other nations, not shaped by the what they can make with their own hand, but shaped by my dreams for them, my hopes for them to bring them back to the way that it was supposed to be before sin. This is God's promise to Abram. And he gives him a new name to symbolize that. Here's a gift, a new identity. Your name is now Abraham. And this is a beautiful picture. And along with this promise, God says, I need you, I need you to cut some things off. Literally in the most literal sense in this covenant. Introduce circumcision. Right? Again, let's think about this like Abraham hearing it for the first time. Okay? I will be with you forever and always. 
I will be with your children forever and always. I will bless you and make you great. Whoever curses you, I will curse. I am with you. We're in it to win it. I'm your guy. Um, but I need you to cut some things out of your life. So on the eighth day of a child's life, we're going to practice circumcision to set you visibly, tangibly apart from every other people group on the face of the planet. You have cut off a portion of your flesh saying that we reject the flesh and we accept God's promises. Abraham's like, okay, let's leap. Let's do this. I'm on board. I'm going to follow God. Now imagine you're Abraham and you're like, I'm on board for this. God, I'm going to follow you. Circumcision. Great. Two thumbs up. Let's do this. Now I'm going to go tell everybody in my camp that this is what we're going to do. That's a hard sell, okay? Right? But he had this new identity, this new confidence in God, and he could go then as a representative of God to his people and say, God is so good. And we need to cut off ourselves from the flesh, cut off ourselves from the past, from the way that we live, from the identity that we had. And we need to live a new way with a new identity and a new picture of who we are and a reminder that we belong to somebody. Now, in the, in the New Testament, it plays out this way, a little, you know, snapshot forward into the future. Circumcision is, is a picture to show us what was to come in Christ. That God said, I need you to cut off a little bit of your flesh to remind yourself so that you are separating yourself from that old life. That is no longer who you are. When Jesus came and walked the face of the earth, God come to earth wrapped in flesh. He did that intentionally. And he walked intentionally to the cross, right? And the scripture tells us that when Jesus died on the cross in our place for our sins, receiving all of the wrath of God for all of the sin of humankind, all of these sin cycles over and over and over again, on him, he was cut off. There's no joke in the language there. That's a throwback to circumcision. He was cut off from the land of the living. He was separated from God so that we might be joined together with God. He was um, died and destroyed, received the punishment that we should have received so that we can enter into the promise. The, the old covenant ceremony where the bulls were cut in half and God and the smoking <laughs> fire pot went through um, is a picture of what Jesus did on the cross. An animal must be sacrificed. Blood must be shed for the forgiveness of sins. It happened in the garden when Adam and Eve were given um, clothing, animal skins. That was the first sacrifice in blood to cover the forgiveness of sins. Many generations later, we get to Jesus, who is the Passover lamb who died in our place for our sins, right? And he was cut off so that we might be brought in. Entering into a covenant relationship with God fundamentally changed who Abraham was. He got a new name, a new identity, a new future. One God above all other gods. A legacy that is mind-blowing. We are descendants of this guy. This is our history. He is our forefather. We can claim that Abraham is part of our history. But because of that, we can also claim that we are part of the promise 
that God has called us to live blamelessly before him, that he will enable us to do that. Um, 2 Corinthians, Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, and he says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Paul also talks in other places, similar language, about heart circumcision. That when we come to Christ and we, we want to have relationship with the God of all of the universe, that it requires a circumcision of our heart. Now, we're not literally getting in there like with a knife. That would be bad. But the Holy Spirit enters into our life and removes that which is sinful, removes the desire for sin, removes the guilt and the shame that comes with that, and replaces it with his Holy Spirit, with love, with grace, with mercy, and causes us to walk blamelessly before him. This story of Abram to Abraham is our story. The promise that we have that God longs for us to walk towards holiness. The fact that we sometimes try and take the reins on our own and we mess up every now and again. But God is faithful to his promise. He will see you through. He will undergird you. And he longs to give you a new identity. There are two things that happen in this. Um... One, if you are a Christ follower, there is always room for Christ to get up in your heart and remove a little more sin, remove a little more guilt. We hold on to it. We like it. Sometimes we want to lick our wounds. It makes us feel better. God wants to get rid of those wounds and heal them completely and cause you to walk in a way that is beautifully new to refresh your identity. And I'll just be really transparent with you this morning. I was struggling this morning to even come here. You ever just have a day where you're like, I don't know if I want to go to church? Well, as a pastor, you don't really get an option, okay? Um, like, there's, like, there's like no, I'm just going to stay in bed today. Like, I don't get that. Um, and, uh, and so I struggled this morning. And I, I texted some pastor friends of mine. We text a lot in the morning. And I told them, I'm really struggling. Um, that, that cloud of depression that you can fight away for a really long time, sometimes it just comes back up on you, right, in real transparency. And so today was one of those days where I was really struggling. And I texted my friends and I said, I'm struggling. I'm going literally through the motions because I don't have a choice. I am I'm called to be a preacher and I will get up and I'll give what I have, but I don't know if I've got anything to give. And one of my buddies, uh, my mentor, gave me a Bible passage, um, and he said, would you just, just be like Gideon today? And I had to go read the passage again. And it says this, the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said to him, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. And I got stopped in my tracks because Gideon in this moment is saying, but I'm not good enough but I don't have enough, but my clan is too small to do what you're asking me to do. I'm scared. I don't want to. I don't know if I can. All of the excuses in the book. He definitely wasn't acting like a man of valor. He definitely didn't feel like a man of valor. But God comes and says, you are a man of valor. I'm giving you that identity. I'm calling you that. And I needed that reminder this morning that my identity doesn't come from what I feel. My identity doesn't come from the things that I've done. 
my identity doesn't come from um, even the role of pastor that I have. My identity doesn't come from anything in the flesh. My identity solely comes from the Lord. And when I read that this morning, and it took several hours for this to sink in, right before um, second service began, I realized that God still has the ability in your pastor's heart to say, but I love you, and your identity is formed by me. We're continual works in process, are we not? Is this too transparent? Okay. Um, And so this morning, I experienced this in a way I didn't think I was going to. I didn't know that I was going to live the message that I was trying to preach. I didn't know that I had to be made new again. I mean, you know it, but like you live it and you forget. But God did this for me today, this morning, sitting in this chair right before I got up and preached. And he can do it for you. And it doesn't matter where you are or what you've done or what you've experienced or what you carry. God looks at you and says, I am the Lord God and I love you. So today, I don't know where you are and I don't know what you bring with you, but God wants to make you new in your heart. God wants to refresh you and give you a renewed sense of your identity in him. And the team's going to come up and lead us in a worship song. And I would say... Give yourself to God in this moment. Surrender that which you've been holding on to. And if you don't know, if you're holding on to anything, just silently offer yourself to God and see what he shows you. I struggled with him this morning. And it's good when he wins. So let him work with you this morning and see where he takes you. It's a new identity, and he promises to give it to you. Lord, thank you for your promises. Thank you that you are who you say you are, and you will do what you say you will do. And we do not have to wait, but you want to do it right here and right now. Make us new. Refresh us and remind us of how much you love us. pray this in your name. Amen. You've just heard a message from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. To learn more about our church or to support our ministries, you can visit ktnnaz.org. Thank you.